You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Top Gun Maverick, which came out in 2022 and was directed by Joseph Kaczynski. It stars Tom Cruise, Miles Teller, Jennifer Connelly, John Hamm, Glenn Powell, Charles Parnell, Louis Pullman, Bashir Salahuddin, Monica Barbera, Ed Harris, and Val Kilmer. The genre would be military mission adventure. Your instructor is one of the finest pilots this program has ever produced. Your reputation precedes you. I have to admit, I wasn't expecting an invitation back. They're called orders, Maverick. Top Gun Maverick is a dazzling pop spectacle, which does more than just improve on the original film from 1986. It actually delivers on its promise. The best recent comparison I can come up with is likely Creed II, which came out a few years ago, a full 33 years after Rocky IV, which it very much served as an indirect sequel to. What both this and Creed II accomplish is to bring added depth to a very shallow story from the mid-80s. However, Creed II brought a sobering quiet compared to its razzle-dazzle predecessor. And let's face it, Rocky IV was just such a relentless feature-length music video back in 85, probably the only sensible direction to go in was to reduce the spectacle. Whereas Maverick does quite the opposite. Top Gun Maverick, of course. Tony Scott's original film from 1986 was breathlessly paced and very much a feature-length music video itself but with relatively low stakes, so much to the point that the final aerial battle of that film, it almost felt like a tacked-on afterthought. Director Joseph Kaczynski, who also gave us Tron Legacy, and Cruz do something very savvy this time around, along with a large team of screenwriters. They lay out the overall mission up front, and the preparation for that seemingly treacherous aerial mission remains the focus of this movie through the third act when we watch our protagonist carry out said mission. The stakes are set, the difficulties are established, and of course, the key players are presented to us. Led by Cruz's Pete Mitchell slash Maverick, who was called upon to train a brash new crop of Top Gun pilots to carry out this mission. And of course, it's a doozy of a mission. Yes, there are musical and visual callbacks. Ten minutes in, this appears on the surface to be a, quote, legacy sequel, akin to recent ones like Ghostbusters Afterlife or Matrix Resurrection, both of which I reviewed recently and both of which I also liked. However, in the case of those films, they were both downgrades. 
Afterlife just does not even approach the comedic heights of the original Ghostbusters. And even though I considered its story to be quite clever, that fourth Matrix movie just never really dazzled in the action department like its predecessors. Well, this is not the case here. From the get-go, Top Gun Maverick not only features aerial spectacle, which demolishes anything seen in the original film, which, to be fair, was filmed in 1985 with much fewer resources and much older film technology. But it's also easier to follow, it feels more personalized, and it's also much more integrated into the story. These aerial sequences just have such a visceral quality where you can not only follow who is flying each aircraft, but just how physically taxing the experience is for each of them. Major props to all of the technical crew, especially Skywalker Sound, for helping to provide to the audience the full immersive experience of going Mach 9, which I would gather means going really, really fast. Everything looks and sounds quite convincing, and it helps to have a game cast, many of whom were actually filmed up in those jets, with the help of actual hidden pilots, stunt pilots, who of course are not visible to the audience. Speaking of which, those new characters. The new characters introduced, well, they're a cocky bunch, not unlike the crew of Top Gunners from the first movie, all equipped with their own goofy call signs. You've got Coyote, Hangman, Yale, Fanboy, Phoenix, Bob. Yeah, there's Bob, among others. Now, for the most part, they are not really given that much more depth than the likes of, say, Cougar, Merlin, or Sundown from Top Gun 86. But at the very least, you buy them as hardcore professionals who are really up there, operating these crazy sleek pieces of machinery. Among the new standouts is Rooster, played by Miles Teller. He's the son of Goose from the first film, played by Anthony Edwards. And yes, Given what happened to his father in that first film, it's fairly obvious right away that Rooster has a chip on his shoulder. Teller definitely plays up the arrogant smarm as only he can. See Teller's top-flight performance in Whiplash for a good example. But he provides just the right amount of both pathos and awe to this character along the way that you just can't help but feel for him. His relationship to Maverick is probably the heart of the movie. And while it's mostly shown from Maverick's point of view throughout the first half, I could really appreciate how it's developed further during the climax, mostly through each character's actions as pilots. In a film like this, it can actually be preferable to explore characters through action, how they handle themselves up in the air. It's actually much more organic than watching them, say, bond in the locker room. I don't like you because you're dangerous. That's right. Nice, man. I am dangerous. I also quite liked John Hamm in what initially seems like a very thankless role as the resident hardass, the Admiral Simpson, who is mostly tasked with yelling at Maverick to follow the rules. He's also known as Cyclone, by the way. Yes, he spends much of his screen time glowering and grimacing, but as the story progresses, we can also see just how much the extreme dangers presented by this mission are starting to weigh on him. He genuinely cares about these men and women, and the concerns that he raises along the way of this whole training process usually feel quite sincere, more than just having coffee spilled on him resulting from a flyby. I also quite liked Chicago's own Bashir Salahuddin, who plays Hondo, a lead tech of some sort who apparently has a long-running close friendship with Maverick. He's attuned to everything going on with the planes, but he also has some heartfelt exchanges with crews along the way. And speaking of the cruise missile... The success of this film rests very much on his shoulders. And to say that his performance as this cocky hotshot has grown over the past 36 years, it's a true understatement. From the performance of its eponymous lead, to its structure, to the technical work demonstrated on screen, to the sheer emotion earned through its story, Top Gun Maverick 
is not only a significantly more mature film to its predecessor, but the lack of greased up beach volleyball scenes notwithstanding. It is significantly more entertaining as well. And that brings us to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. This is pretty much a tie between the old and the new. Regarding the old, as stated earlier, Harold Faltemeyer returns from scoring the previous one to join forces with Hans Zimmer, remember him, And while the score for this film is sufficiently rousing and emotional throughout, I have to say that I am still quite the sucker for that original Top Gun anthem, which is pretty much reprised for the opening credits. Just a strong way to kick off the movie. You hear this slowly building synth score playing over imagery of a Navy carrier as dozens of men are readying jets to be taken off with the orange glow of the magic hour illuminating everything. And my personal favorite part of this score... Of course, it's the sound of the bell, which punctuates this theme, which was actually just the stock sound of a tubular bell that Faltemeyer added from his synthesizer way back when, when he was composing the original theme for the original movie. And as for the new, well, who better than Stefani Joanne Angelina Germanata herself? Born in New York the same year that the original Top Gun was released, you might know her as Lady Gaga. Over the past decade and a half, she has become one of my favorite pop singers, dishing out such catchy hits as Poker Face, Born This Way, and the recent Oscar-winning Shallow, which she performed for her breakout Oscar-nominated starring role in A Star Is Born. For the soundtrack for this film, Ms. Gaga actually both produced and performed a dazzling old-school power ballad. Yeah, remember those? I can't tell you how tickled I was when I first heard this. Just such a throwback, which perfectly fits the tone and setting of this film. Filled with her soaring vocals over piano, pounding percussion, and even with some electric guitars thrown in for good measure. It's a genuine banger of a song that we hear at least twice throughout the movie, including playing overhead in a bar scene, and of course kicking in right before the end credits start. The song is called Hold My Hand.
And now the next category, which is wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Oscar winner Jennifer Connelly does the most that she can playing the love interest to Maverick. It's kind of a typical love interest role. Not sure if the ongoing romance between her Penny and Maverick actually adds anything to the overall story, but at the very least, she comes off as warm, relatable, and gosh, even age-appropriate for Cruz. All around, it's not the best usage of her talents, but at least she has significant screen time, which is more than I can say for Ed Harris. Yeah, you would think from his prominence in the trailers that he has a major role in this movie, and unfortunately, you would be wrong. Harris has a couple of moments early on, and that's it. His Rear Admiral Kane has some interesting things to say regarding the future of naval aviation, and it might have been cool to at least have one more scene later on with him exploring that subject matter. Alas, we don't get that. And that brings me to the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. There are no shortage of impressive shots and sequences featuring aerial daring do throughout the movie. And it seems that unfortunately, many of them have been spoiled in the trailers for this movie, which is okay. I mean, you have to sell the sizzle, right? Well, there is one sequence which has only been hinted at from the trailers, and it actually occurs at the beginning of the movie. Our hero Maverick is doing a test flight of a brand new jet. And you just know that shit is getting real when he's dressed more like an astronaut once he is inside that cockpit. That's right, he's going supersonic. The goal of this test was initially to reach the speed of Mach 9, which itself is a record. But those pesky higher-ups at the Navy are now threatening to shut down this program unless he reaches the seemingly unobtainable speed of whew, Mach 10. Well, let's just say that our hero Maverick considers himself up to the challenge. And after takeoff, we see him up in the sky, going Mach 8, Mach 8.5, Mach 8.8, Mach 9, wow, Mach 9.2, 9.6, 9.8, uh-oh. Regardless of the speed that he achieves, the visual becomes his jet literally traversing the edge of the stratosphere with glowing dual beams of blue and gold in his wake pretty much zooming through space as if he was achieving warp drive or hyperspace. Just an awe-inspiring moment which took my breath away. Pun intended. And now the final category, which is the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Now back to Cruz. Of course, the physicality that he brings towards flying these things, and yes, he is a real pilot actually piloting these planes, is beyond next level. It's not a coincidence that Tom Cruise has basically become the North American Jackie Chan over the past 15 years. A fearless performer who is now most famous for his absurd willingness to put himself at risk for just about any death-defying stunt as long as it, quote, serves the story. And that high-wire act certainly carries over to this performance. Beyond that, however, we see that over the past several decades, his Pete Maverick Mitchell has grown more self-aware, regretful, and even, dare I say, humble in how he carries himself. It's a more relaxed performance than Cruz has typically given in these kinds of movies, and it really grounds this film to have him at the center. Maverick as a character knows what he's doing now, but he's also very aware of the risks. And just how Cruz carries himself through big set pieces truly adds to the white-knuckle suspense that we feel during the climax of this film. 
Seriously, I found myself gripping my seat and even holding my breath quite often during the final 30 or so minutes of this movie. Of course, the technical expertise that Kaczynski and crew brought to this movie cannot be understated. But at the end of the day, it was the cruise missile who pushed this project forward, selected much of the talent involved, including Kaczynski, who had previously directed him in Oblivion. And it was thanks to Cruise's continuous focus during this COVID era that the release of this film be held off to theaters until just the right time. Seriously, if not for the cruise missile, this movie could have been released directly to streaming over a year ago on Paramount+. Plus. Love him or hate him, Tom Cruise is one of our most enthusiastic advocates for keeping the theatrical experience alive. You're back here in Hollywood making movies right now because of us! Because they believe in us and what we're doing! For that reason, along with shepherding a deliriously entertaining theatrical experience this time around, Maverick is the MVP. My overall rating for Top Gun Maverick would be four and a half stars out of five. Overall, Top Gun Maverick is among the most exciting experiences that I've had in a movie theater in quite some time. It's a genuinely great sequel that truly builds on the more memorable aspects of what preceded it. Aliens, T2, Empire Strikes Back, recent episode Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. This sequel to Top Gun now belongs in the conversation with those types of movies, which is high praise to say the least. And if you're looking to watch Top Gun Maverick, it is currently now playing in theaters. And that ends another Mach 10 review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.